Welcome to RAQA Today, the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott. So here I am with my friend, Monir, from Easy Medical Device. Monir is uh, based in the EU and uh, right between Switzerland and France. I think you live in France and your business is Swiss or? Exactly. I'm living in France. My business is in Switzerland and I'm shopping. I was shopping in Germany, but now the prices are getting so high that uh, we are not shopping anymore in Germany. So yeah, in this cross, in this cross in the, in the region of uh, France, Germany and Switzerland. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So you know all the things from a, a literal flip on the ground in three countries uh, yeah. in, in Europe. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I had to learn some German just to go uh, be able to to speak with people there. But yeah, I mean, life is too short to learn German. So it's. Uh... <laughs> I agree. And and then if you come back to Switzerland with the German that you spoke in Germany, you will get correct. Yeah, we have uh, there is a German. There is the Swiss German, which is different than the German. So it's uh, sometimes a bit hectic also. And they have also their own accent, which is, uh, I, I like, it's like, it's, it's lovely if I can say the sound and it's like they are singing sometimes. So yeah, it's, uh, it's really nice. But yeah, they have the German, which is Hochdeutsch. And there is a, there is a Swiss German, which is Schweizerdeutsch, which is uh, different. So yeah, sometimes it's a bit difficult sometimes to understand each other. So yeah. So, and then thus enter one of the fun, fun, fundamental problems with the MDR is the languages and the interpretation. Yeah. yeah. So the um, languages are re requirements. I mean, I mean, it is requirements per country, mainly normally uh, each country has its own language, but now it was emphasized by, um, by the UMDR that says um, you have to provide the, the language of uh, the country where you are selling the device. So, um, so in Europe, you, are, you have Italian, you have Sp Spanish, you have German, you have French, you have uh, Dutch, you have uh, English, you have, uh, I mean, so many languages that, um, yeah, sometimes it's a bit difficult, but where you are selling your device, normally the language that you are using should be the language that uh, people are understanding. It's more so about the usability. So the fact that uh, people that are using your device should not be confused by the language or confused by some assumptions of, oh, that this means this or this means that. So it's why you have to use their language. But you have some countries like Netherlands that says, for example, if this is, if the destination of this product is for um, a professional user, like a surgeon or whatever, you can use English if you want, um, which is authorized. But um, I have some, uh, recently I had a notified body that um, um, the customer don't, don't know exactly where they want to sell their products for a moment. So they said, okay, let's go for English first. And the notified body came back to us and said, no, no, we, we just not, we want also another language from the European Union. So provide me also another language. Now we are, we have made the translations and we are helping them, uh, to, uh, to provide that in the countries. But, um, but yeah, even notified bodies, they are not satisfied just by English for the instruction for use or labeling or whatever. They, they want to see also other languages, uh, for declaration of conformity. Also sometimes they say, oh, we want also the, the language. Uh, the, the, the language where you are selling that, etc. So everything that is provided to an end user or a customer, um, you have to provide it in the local language so that the people are understanding what they are doing, what they are using, and why they are using that. So it's um, but it's something that yeah is now clarified. It was needed before, but it's now clarified and mandatory, and they will check for that now. Do you see people like moving towards more visual? 
IFUs, like pictures and, and different things that, that maybe don't have words? Yeah, um, more labels. IFUs, it's a bit difficult to not use words on IFUs, but more labels where they are avoiding at uh, any, in any way they are trying to avoid any wording, just to use all the the standards, uh, all, all the, the symbols that are on the standards, so the 15223-1, which is the standard that is uh, showing all the symbols. Uh, they are to, trying to use that as, as much as possible because as soon as they put a word in English, for example, then they will have to translate it in all the languages that uh, exist. For example, manufactured by. So there is a symbol for that, which is the black plant. But if you say, no, I will not use the symbol, I will use manufactured by, and you are selling your products in Italy, in France, in Germany, or whatever, then you have to translate this wording in all the languages. But if you use the symbol, black plant symbol, then it's fine. Everybody's fine. And in the UMDR, Annex 1, Chapter 3, it says that if you are using an international uh, standard, then it's acceptable without um, making any translation of it. So, which is uh, then fine. Yeah. So what do you think of um, the outcome of this meeting on December 9th? Yeah, so it, it's a good, um, so just before clarification, so on December 9th, there was a proposal made by the European Commission uh, to extend the, the, the date of the May 2024, which is the end of the transition period for any manufacturers that had a CE certificate under MDD. Um, so they could continue to sell their devices on the market under MDD until the end of their expiration of their certificate. Uh, so the end of the certificate was planned normally for end uh, for May 26, 2024. Um, and notified bodies have a capacity to um, have a capacity. I mean, there, there are 35 notified bodies actually. And when they had made a survey to check how many certificates they will have to reissue by the 26th of May 2024. There was around 12,000, if I remember, I can't remember the, number, the, the, the numbers, but like 12,000 certificates to reissue. And when they looked at what are, what is their capacity until that date, it was like 6,000 certificates only to reissue. So at that point we say, okay, we are hitting a wall there. So um, at the point where 6,000 maybe product will be discontinued from the market from the 26th of May 2024, because they will not have any possibility to get C certified um, after that. So this was kind of maybe uh, something that was alerting everyone. And then the EU Commission, everybody was trying to tell them, uh, move the date, move the date, move the date, because it's not possible. Even the Swiss the Swiss people, they say, okay, we are not following you on that. We, it's too risky. So now we'll go also with uh, accepting also the FDA products. Uh, because you are going through a wall now and uh, then it will be impacting also our uh, our patients, I mean, I mean the, their citizens in Switzerland. And they say, okay, we are we accept CE mark product, but we'll also accept the FDA approved product. Uh, so they will change their law for now. It's not approved now, but they will change their law soon for it. Do you think that that like was a, a bit of a wake up call to the commission that, you know, not only did Switzerland kind of not participate in the as much in the MDR because it's its own thing, but like the Swixit. So so you have Swixit, but you also have them officially making the move to accept US products. And the whole point of MDR is to say that we are not only safe, but we are leading the world in product safety and regulations and to protect our citizens. And Switzerland's here like no, our, 
the U.S. is just as safe as products that are certified under MDR. And we're at a higher risk of not having products. That's a bigger safety concern. I don't, to be honest, I don't think it was too short the time between the decision of the Swiss and the change for the Europe. I, I think it was too short, but I don't know. I, I'm not on this uh, side, so I don't know. But um, uh, just just to clarify also, so the EUMDR, uh, uh, if I can say, process, requirements, everything, for me, it's a good it's a good re- regulation because it's um, it's also making a wake up call to the manufacturers that they have to have clinical data, they have to have everything, etc. So it's a the, the, the way where they want to go is fine. The only thing, the only problem that happened is the fact that the infrastructure behind it was not in place. There was no notified, but in-out notified body to certify everyone. The UDAME database is not in place. There are a lot of things that we thought that was clear with the new regulation because just for maybe <laughs> clarification also, uh, the EUMDR the is emerging between uh, MDD and AIMDD, which is 60 pages plus 20 pages, which makes 80 pages in total. Uh, but the MDR is 175 pages, so more than the double, which means that normally the MDR is more clear with more information, with more things than that. But we discovered that it was not clear enough, so they are creating a lot of MDCG guidance. I mean, each week there is a new MDCG guidance released, uh, clarifying this position paper on that, position this on. So, we have 175 pages plus a lot of guidances now, plus a lot of things, etc., which makes creates also this chaos. And at the end, we try to clarify. So those MDCG are good because we are clarifying, but I thought the MDC, MDR will be clarifying all that, so no need of all those MDCG. So that plus, as I said, all the infrastructure that we are missing, this is just the timeline that they defined the EU that was not good. If they were saying, okay, let's give it a, a seven years or eight years or 10 years to make all this transition with some middle milestones to say at that moment, you should have done this. At that moment, you should have done that. At that moment, you should have done that. Maybe it would have worked. But now they said to everybody, you have to be MDR compliant. You have to be MDR compliant, but there is no notified body that are capable to certify everybody. So at the end, they say, I want to be MDR compliant, but there is nobody that wants to take my, my folder. I am ready. I want to be audited. I want to, but there is nobody. So this is mainly the issue of infrastructure that was uh, creating a lot of problems. And also they were not thinking of one thing that uh, US have in place, which is the new technology, new um, breakthrough procedure that we have, for example, for any new technology that is in place. Um, Now, if you are a new startup that is coming to the EU market, if you have never been to the EU market before under MDD or whatever legislation, you have now to go directly to MDR because there is no transition for you. But when you contact notified bodies, they say, oh, we have no time for you because first we will take care of our current customers, not the new ones, we take care of them. But we'll put you on a waiting list, which will be until I don't know when. So this is mainly the, the situation where the regulation by itself is okay, but the infrastructure, the logistic, all those things were not in place. So it's why, the Switzerland is not saying we give up with uh, CE marking. They say no, because even their legislation in Switzerland, they copied the UMDR. They said, for this, you have to look at UMDR, Article 10 or Article 11, etc. So they are even copying directly the UMDR, but they want to get a new option to then be able to accept products also on the market in case, for example, their country, which is a small country, to be honest, that 
Um, if one supplier is maybe not providing some products, they will not get those products anymore on the country. So it's why they try to get more options in case of any issue to then be able to get, reserve more products from, from the market. So they are not just going all FDA. They just say, I want a second option in case, in case of, in case I miss some products, I can go to the FDA, to the uh, US products. We, US products are not only F, um, US companies, if I can, or FDA products are not only US companies, can be any company in the world that is approved within the FDA. So this is mainly how they are, they are thinking of it. So you mentioned those MDCG guidance documents, which again, they're coming out at a breakneck pace. And a little late, but too, by the way, you know, as long as uh, industries ask for clarification. But one of my favorite quotes was from um, Basil Accra yeah. early, very early, even well before the countdown started for MDR. Yeah. And he said, don't wait for the guidance documents yeah. because they're just more words that are going to confuse you. Yeah, what do you think? Are they are are they really helping clarify what they meant in the MDR? For people that are trying to follow the UMDR, they have to understand that the UMDR is a framework. It's like a playground, a field where you have to play. It's like let's let's use the analogy of football here. So to say that you have a playground, a field, and then you have to score at the end, which is the final goal of anyone. Any company has to place their product on the market, which is making a goal. But you can go from the left side, the right side. You can make a go through a penalty. You can go through different ways to do that. And here is the thing that some manufacturers were struggling with. We say, for example, let's say post-marketing surveillance. Uh, they say, oh, for post-marketing surveillance, we need to, how can we do the post-marketing surveillance plan? Do you have a template? How can I do the PSUR? Do you have a template? How can we do this? Oh, we should wait for the MDCG guidance to be released so that we can know how to do that, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, I just say, read the MDR. It says, do this, that, that, that do it it's fine no need no need to think 10 times or you maybe you are not perfect maybe you are not right but at the end as long as you follow what it's written and it, you you are writing that it's fine but people are willing to get an accurate information just a formula give me a formula i will fill it and then i will i will send that to the notified body and this and that so they are it's what they are looking for but the umdr is more like as i've said a, a framework it because you cannot you cannot um consider all medical devices the same. You have a wheelchair, you have a pacemaker, you have a glasses, you have MRI machine, you have implants, you have softwares. I mean, you cannot put the wheelchair at the same level of a software or uh, in terms of risk. So you cannot also ask the same information to every product that are within the medical device uh, area. So, so it's why at a certain point you have to use some common sense to create some documents to try to do that. And as there, as there is no MDCG guidance, as there is nothing, the issue that you will face, and it's normal, is that maybe the auditor is expecting something else. You say, oh, but I was expecting more something like this or more something like that. But you can still say, oh, but I'm just following the EMDR. It says that, that, that. Here it is, that, that, that. It's, it's fine. And then they have nothing to say, if I can say. But mainly, the idea is that is don't wait for the MDCG guidance. Do your best to try to fulfill the requirements as, as much as possible. Yes, you will get some challenge from notified bodies, but if you are using common sense, if then it should be fine. And maybe the notified bodies say, well, yeah, well, I don't like the way you have done it like this uh, on, on that way, but 
if you do that, 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 I will be fine. Then do what they are saying. It's maybe writing just two, three, three additional chapters and it will be fine. So if you are waiting for the MDCG guidances for any of the chapters, you will maybe wait too long. Uh, you will not be able to provide the right information. And maybe when you receive it, you say, oh, it's only that. So I was waiting all this month for only that. I mean, it's mainly what's happening also because we had that uh, situation with the PMCF, for example. We had a lot of people say, oh, how I do a PMCF, etc." So it's written directly on the UMDR. And then they were waiting for MDCG guidance. And when the MDCG guidance came, yes, it was a formula template, but it was copy paste of what was written on the UMDR, just chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. And nothing else. So then at the end, yeah, if you are waiting for MDCG guidances, maybe you will wait for a long time first. And maybe when you reserve it, it's not so, it's not helping you much. So there is not, uh, not no more, no, no much support for, from it. Um, what about that new MDCG the, that came out very recently, the, the 2022-18? Yeah. Like, uh, the, the one about because... the MDR Article 97. Yeah, so this one is, uh, it, it's funny. I don't know if you, you saw the, the, the story of it, but um, uh, the December 9th, we had the EU commission that at the same moment was talking about this proposal and asking all the member states about uh, about the fact that, yeah, we'll have to move uh, this date. And all member states one by one says, yes, we agree. Yes, this and that. I mean, everyone was uh, talking and saying yes and yes, yes. And at the end, we had the commission again that says, okay, then we take your account, your recommendation or your discussion. And then we'll, uh, by 2023, we'll initiate the change of the regulation and also initiate a position paper, MDCG position paper on how we will manage the extension of the certificate that are expiring soon, if I can say. 30 minutes after or one hour after, we got an MDCG guidance that came out. And it was this one, 2022-18, which was... And then we start to research, is it the answer of what you just she just said that you will be publishing? It's fast. Oh, they are really fast. And um, when we read it, it's like... Uh, yeah, if your certificate expires, then you can contact your member state and they can maybe help you to uh, extend your certificate or be taking care of you. Like uh, oh, You said member state, not even notified body. No, 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 no. Don't talk about notified body. You go to no yeah. member state directly. You go to the member state and you show to them that your product is not risky at all, that your product and you tried and you have to make some proof. Like you have to create a dossier that you tried to, you have a signed agreement with notified body, but it's too far from now. Uh, you have tried, uh, you, you have gathered data about your device to show that post-marketing service is fine. There is no issue. There is no problem. There is no vigilance. You have to show that your product is not at risk at all, that you have tried to, to get notified by a uh, notified body and that it was for now unsuccessful because the date is later. And if you can then extend, they help you to extend this, um, this certificate. Uh, I mean, extend. I don't know if it's re-extending. I don't know if it's not like taking care of you uh, or taking them uh, under you the wings if i can say for the manufacturers so that they can continue to sell in the meantime that they will uh, get uh, the, their new certificate or whatever so um there they have to like have their maybe their cer transition to the mdr no they have to have quality management system that is compliant to the MDR. They have to have post-marketing surveillance compliant, vigilance reporting compliant. I mean, all the things that normally they have to have in the transition to MDR, but um, they were not, I mean, I have to read it maybe against, uh, again, again once, but 
they were not anything about you have to have your CR or this kind of thing or, or that kind of thing. It was just showing, proving to the authorities that your device is safe, is performant in terms of actual data that you have from your device on the market, not the fact that you are claiming this or claiming that. It's just to, the objective was mainly to say, my device is not risky at all. Here we talk about an administrative issue, the fact that the certificate is, is um, expires and I, I'm waiting for my new certificate, etc. So it's just an administrative issue. The product is safe. There is no issue. Everything is fine. And there can be, if we have a shortage of this, maybe it can be an issue on the market also. So this is mainly what you have to prove by applying this rule here. So it doesn't mean that you just wake up in the morning and you call them and say, oh, can you extend my certificate? No, as I said, you have to create a dossier, a proof and this, and it can take already one month or two months just to create all that and then to submit that to them. And then they will accept or not accept uh, your dossier and then maybe help you to um, continue to sell your products on the market until you get uh, the new things. But this is one option. My, me, I'm, I'm waiting for the second option because I think what she was mentioning on the, at the EU Commission, the person who was talking, I think she was expecting something else. This was an option that everybody was talking about even before that meeting. Um, but after that meeting, now that I think they will maybe, I don't know, they will maybe ask notified bodies to say, can you confirm that those products are safe and that they can be extended until 2027 or 2028 because these are the new dates. Uh, maybe they will just make a verification to say you have to redo an audit to them before you can extend again, etc. So I don't know what will be the mechanism that the notified body, I mean, that the EU Commission will find so that the notified body can extend their certificate until 2027 or 2028. But this one, the MDCG 2022-18, uh, is one option. If your certificate already expired, then uh, we have to go uh, through a, a member state and ask them. I have a customer that asked me for a meeting tomorrow morning uh, just because he saw also the MDCG 2022-18 uh, and he says, oh, can I use that because my certificate is expiring on the 13th of January? Uh, so can we use that? And I say, okay, let's have a meeting to explain to you because as I've told you, it's not like just waking up in the morning and calling them and say, can you extend? No, it's a preparation. So uh, it's a lot of documents to prepare, proof, etc. So just for people to not, yeah, go crazy and say, oh, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. I have even customers that contact me this evening say, we have already applied to a notified body. We have already a date for application, but is there any advantage for us or disadvantage for us to do that instead of waiting the 2027 or 2028? I'm saying to them, don't wait. There is no advantage or disadvantage. Or I mean, there is no disadvantage of doing that. The only thing is that if you don't do it now, maybe you will be struggling later again because everybody will be also waiting again and again and again until the end uh, so that uh, the, the, they, are, they are again contacting notified body to get certified. And that sounds like a little bit of a mess to me because the member states are not used to looking at files like notified bodies and clearing or approving you know, no, they, no, they are. No, they are. Just, yeah. just, for, just for understanding the hierarchy, the hierarchy is that the member states are appointing the notified bodies. The member states are the ones that are auditing the notified bodies to verify that they are doing correctly their job. 
that they are uh, providing certificates, etc. Member states are like FDA, if I can say, and notified bodies are like any company, like even maybe even Linraka can be a notified body, if I can say, and then can apply for that. And then you are getting an accreditation to say, I can go to, to manufacturers to give them a C certificate or whatever. So notified bodies are third-party companies. They are not uh, authorities or whatever. And so the member states are the ones that have the authority and can even cancel their accreditation, can stop them, can do whatever they want with, the, with, the, with their licenses. So it's why notified bodies are coming to audit you because you pay them for that. Member states, if there is any issue on the market, they are coming to inspect you and they will check everything like an FDA will check what you are doing with your company. So they have the same power as the FDA in the US, but they delegate their activity of um, certification for C marking to notified bodies. But they have the same, they have people that have the same knowledge as the one of notified bodies uh, when it, it comes to audit. So what about the other MDCG guidance document? This one's a little older from 2019, number 13. Oh, about sampling of technical files. Yeah. Um, so that guidance document is older. So you've got that guidance document about the sampling, but then also one of the things that they said in the MDCG that came out, I think, in September, they also brought up sampling might not have to be as stringent. How do those two, the MDC, the older MDCG on sampling and the recommendations that came out in September? Um, yeah, I think, I think the recommendation that came out in September is just because as, as we said, the, uh, the EU commissioner had too much pressure uh, related to this deadline. Notified bodies had not enough capacity to certify all, uh, all products. So then they were maybe proposing, if I can say some solution, let's not be so stringent or this and that. But what is written on the regulation is mainly what is on the MDCG 2019-13, which is the sampling that you are doing should be one uh, representative of a product for class 2A that have per MDR code. So um, you take all your class 2A devices, you look at all the MDR code of the class 2A, each one, you see one MDR code, you can take one technical file per MDR code. So if you have 10 technical files under the same MDR code, you take only one. And the next year, you take another one, and then the following year, another one, etc. And if you have a class 2B, it's one representative per EMDN code, so the nomenclature code. So it's the same. You take one technical file for class 2B um, this year, one the next year, etc., etc. So this is mainly how it was, uh, it was defined. The proposal, if I can say, which is more something that was uh, in case it's too heavy, in case there are too much, in case this and that. So you can then decide also to reduce uh, uh, the, the kind of, of sampling uh, that, uh, like that. But as I've said, the EU was so much under pressure and they tried to find some solutions to reduce the issue, to try to accelerate the certification, to get more manufacturers that get certified that yeah, they, they started to fill a, a checklist of solutions. You can do this, you can do that, you can make this. You can have manufacturers that are applying early, so not waiting that their certificate expired by 2024 to apply apply early so that we can reduce this, uh, this number of manufacturers that will come only by the 26th of May 2024. They had many, many options proposed because at the end it's... It's starting to be chaotic at, at certain points. So they say, okay, let's give you this, give you that. And you can see also on the proposal that they have made at the EPSCO uh, meeting on the December 9th, they were listing 
all the the actions they tried to put in place. They were listing, you can do this, uh, we have done this, we have done that, we have done that. I mean, they have listing a lot of things. And that the end they said, but it was apparently not enough. During a meeting, we asked our member state and they said, no, we have to push the date, etc. I mean, this is an interesting read because you can see also that, yeah, the commission is trying to say, we have done a lot, a lot, a lot, but this was not enough. And this is part of one of the action that they wanted to put in place, but it's not enough. So this is mainly the idea here. What's your recommendation for people who have maybe a system of products or components or accessories that are sold separately where maybe the main device is a 2A, 2B, and then the other pieces might be class one, 1S, 1R. How would you recommend people mix and match the those technical files or keep them all separate? For me, the idea was mainly before to try to have one technical file for everything. But um, I'm trying to change my mind now because uh, after um, having helped many manufacturers and uh, the experience they had, uh, having one technical file per classification can be better. The only issue that I discovered is that um, we, for one of our customers, we tried to make a system. So meaning uh, many, multiple products inside, but it's like a class 2B at the end. But the, man, the notified body came back to say, no, 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 but one of the parts, for example, it was a, a, an implant that is delivered through a, a catheter, through a delivery guide, etc. Um, so the implant is a class 2B, but the delivery guide, if you take it separately, it's a class 2A. So at the end, we said, okay, we put everything together. So we have one technical file only for that. But the surprise that we got is that, no, 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 the system, yes, we can say it's class 2B, but you have to classify separately any of the components. So class 2A, class 2B, class etc. you have to do that. And for me, I told him, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's not changing anything to our technical file, it's just that clarifying the classification and, and everything. But we discovered that because we have now a class 2A and a class 2B product inside technical file, or even if you had two technical files, it would have been the same. Uh, your notified body is increasing the quotation of your uh, application, so uh, of, of, of your you know, the assessment that they are doing. So because now they are not just reviewing a class 2B device, they are also reviewing a class 2A device. So it's two different classifications. So then it's, I don't know if it's twice the price or a bit more of the price, but they are increasing the price because of that. So in terms of technical files, it's not, it's not changing anything, to be honest. Uh, you have the same testing, the same thing, the same, everything is similar. It sounds like these conversations you need to have with your notified body before you put the strategy together. Exactly. Like, I mean, but it's surprising because this notified body had already this customer before under MDD and they had no problem. It was fine with one technical file, with one classification, with everything. So never had an issue. And now they come to MDR. They say, okay, oh, you have now to classify per component, etc. So we say, okay. And we had this surprise about the pricing and it's a surprise. Now I know about it so I can uh, advise my customers in each time they are asking. But this was a surprise also for us to say, really, you are increasing the price, but we say, yeah, because on our quotation, first we do the assessment of class 2B and then the assessment of class 2A, and then it's a double price, et cetera, et cetera. I don't understand those financial things at all, to be honest, but for me, it was surprising. So, yeah. Well, these are um, conversations. So the, the manufacturers are going to have to take a lot more ownership a yeah. lot earlier in the process to get alignment and um, agreement consensus from their notified body that th the whole strategy of how you're going to package and present your product is is understood 
and agreed to both financially and technically, because all those technical strategies will affect how much it costs. But but um, as as we said, so those are manufacturers that uh, some some of those manufacturers were already under MDD, so they were having this software algorithm under MDD to say it's here is how it is working. So they were not thinking some somewhere. So they didn't ask, they they didn't check, they didn't verify. I am not on the financial background of of what they have discussed with notified bodies. They discussed that directly with them. Uh, but yeah. This is mainly also something that we are learning on the on the process because as they change the rule, we think that it's changing just for the dossier, but no, it's changing also for the financial aspects, etc. So be careful if you arrive with a system with five components: one is three, one is two B, one is two A, one is one S, one is one M, etc. So at the end, you arrive with a big a big quotation that will arrive to to your desk, even if it's one system, all works together, etc. So. This is the this is the thing, but um, if you can, for example, for one of my, our, our manufacturer, we have um, separated the elements. Everything was within one technical file, uh, so it's a surgical robot with um, the instruments also that are coming to cut and everything. There are some electrosurgical instruments, some non-electrosurgical instruments that were used, etc. Uh, so at the end, we separated everything. We made the surgical robot system alone. We made the uh, class 2B electrosurgical instruments alone, the class 2A uh, surgical instruments alone, uh, etc. So we separated really everything so that everything is clear and there is no no more issue or so in terms also of the understanding from how this is used. We are still talking inside each technical file about the system, about everything, but we separate everything. And the point is also that if tomorrow I have another surgical instruments, I'm just modifying the technical file of the class uh, 2A and not modifying everything. So they will not review everything. They will just review the technical file of the class 2A device. And if I'm modifying the electrosurgical instrument, I'm they just modify the class 2B device, uh, technical file. Oh. So they just review that. They don't review the full system also. And this is the strategy also to avoid them to go to everything again. So yeah, it's because they, they very well could and say a state of the art or standard of care has changed, even yeah. though you made no changes to those particular parts of this. So this is our our assumptions. I I don't have I, right. I will discover so that when at we this get some point time. it's still so early everything exactly. is an assumption or a prediction. Exactly. Um, and and exactly. so few people have actually made it all the way through and gotten a certificate. I think what there's right around is it is it right around 1014 or 1400? Yeah, 1400 is exactly. the last number. Yeah. So that's really at the heart of it. And there's so few people to talk to that have made it through all the way. What are some other challenges, oddities that you've, unusual conversations that you were like, huh, that I didn't see that one coming about how a notified body either interpreted MDR so uh, we had some, we had, I mean, the clinical part is the one that we had most of the conversation because um, the interpretation for, for, for each of the customers or the manufacturers or the notified bodies is different. So we had, for example, um, um, you know, we have the techno, uh, we have the, the, the thing talking, uh, calling the um, wet um Yeah, that well-established technology, well-established technology, which is like a, uh, sutures, braces, uh, dental filling, etc. Those kind of things that are screws, etc. Those things that are in the, I mean, aged. If I can say, these were the, maybe the first medical devices ever in the world uh, when they were created. So it's like we have so many uh, 
uh, information about those products that there are no risk at all. So we call them well-established technologies. And we had some manufacturers that says, yes, but my, my device is on the market since many years. So I can also call it a well-established technology. So many this is that. So we try to go on that route through uh, some uh, some clinical evaluation and uh, go through that. But the notified body stopped us and said, no, 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 no. The well-established technology devices are the ones that are listed inside the EUMDR. So you see the staples, the, the thing, that, that, that. But we had an MDCG guidance that was saying something like, um, a well-established technology can be something that is well-established since long years, and you can to prove that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we use this sentence from the MDCG, which is a guidance, not the legislation, to go on our way to say to prove that our technology is well-established and is working since many years, and that we can consider it as a state of the art, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the notified body didn't accept that. They said, no, no, no. We accept only those technologies that are considered well-established per the, per the regulation. And if your technology is really well-established, you have to contact like the EU commission so that they can pull it, put it on the regulation as a well-established technology. So I said... <laughs> like they're so, going to change the regulation. Yeah, I mean, I find it really strange. I mean, or, or I don't know, but at the end, we were able to find another way. So it's why I'm saying also on the clinical evaluation, don't have only one strategy. Try to have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, or how many plans possible. Because when you will, we had, for example, um, a strategy where we go with the clinical evaluation and we try to use an equivalent device. But we had also some, we were not really sure that it would be accepted as an equivalent device. So at the same time, we prepare the PMCF plan for if we accept to go on the market. For example, we had a strategy to, uh, negotiate with NotFireWay to say, okay, for this performance or this clinical claim, we don't have all the clinical data. But this clinical claim is not like a risky claim. It's not like something that is high risk. So do you accept that we go on the market with this device, but we promise to you that we will open a PMCF study and we'll gather more data while we are putting the device on the market so that we can feed this PMCF and we'll send that to you so that you can review that and confirm that uh, everything is fine, etc., etc. So this is the plan B, for example. Plan C was to start already to discuss with the centers, uh, surgical centers, so that we can initiate a clinical investigation to then start a clinical investigation. So you have multiple plans to be in place. And then if the plan A is not going well, then you can go to plan B. If the plan B is not going well, then you can go to plan C, etc., etc., etc. But I have a lot of manufacturers that came Go, went to a notified body with only a plan, one plan, plan A, and they, they, if I can say, not they didn't succeed at all. And then they came to us and talked to us about, oh, we had this situation, etc. And they say, yeah, you should always have already a plan B, C, D, because at the end, even notified bodies, they are assuming a lot of things. They are also learning. It's not like they have uh, ten years of experience on MDR, so they are also learning. So. Maybe today they will, they have not accepted your file, but maybe in five years when they will learn more about it, they will accept it, etc. So it's a learning from both sides, from both sides. So um, mainly at the end, you have to be prepared for a no. And if there is a no, what will what will be your next next plan? I had the manufacturer, for example, we proposed them all those plans, and he told me no, we cannot we cannot afford the PMCF. We cannot afford the clinical investigation. Uh, we have made our products in the market since many years. Uh, and I said, okay, during all those years, 
have you gathered clinical data? And he said, no. So 20 years without clinical data, I mean, uh, I don't know how what you can do. And at the end, he said, okay, I will give up with Europe. I will continue to sell in US and other markets, but I will give up with, with Europe because they had not enough clinical data for, for that. So clinical evaluation, clinical data are key for UMDR. Um, using equivalent devices is a big challenge, to be honest. So it's, it's something yeah. that where, where having your own data can really save your product. If you have your own data, if you are selling your product since 20 years, try to gather your own data. If your certificate is not, it will expire maybe in one year or one year and a half or end of 2024, then you have time to do a PMCF. So initiate a PMCF like while you are under MDD. Initiate a PMCF now to gather data about your device so that you can present your data when you will go to uh, to the EU MDR. So this is also a strategy that we are asking our people to do, uh, to say, don't wait the end of your expiration date. Gather data from now with uh, with uh, your, your current customers. Just send them a survey when it's a low-risk device. Try to gather as much clinical data as possible. And then from there, uh, you have enough data so that you can uh, yeah, you can claim uh, whatever you want on, on your product. I think that, that that's a, a great point. Let's talk about what does clinical data encompass? Because you just mentioned surveys. And I think most people, when they hear the term clinical data, they're thinking trial, study, expensive. Like what, what are some, what all falls underneath the clinical data that might not come out of a trial? So clinical data are, as I've said, some information that you are um, gathering while your product is used by your customers. So as I said, like PMCF, as I said. So these are data like, uh, for example, imagine that you have a risk management file and you have identified a lot of risk about your products, residual risk maybe, because if you have a lot of risk, you, you will not use maybe your products, uh, have your products on the market. So you have some residual risk and you can send a survey to your customers to say, have you seen those residual risks? Have you seen those issues? Ha we had some complaints, a lot of complaints about that, but we have made a correction. Have you got any of those issues again, etc.? It's not a survey like a marketing survey to say, is my product good? Uh, do you feel it better? Is it nice? The color, do you like? I, I saw some of those li like that because marketing was more driving those kind of surveys. I said, no, it's a clinical survey. So you have to be clear on, you have those kind of issues. Can you confirm those issues are not existing? Is there any problem about that? So it's more about gathering data about patients that are using uh, those devices or patients that are maybe get, can provide you some information or the surgeon itself. I mean, if it's an implant, maybe the patient will feel nothing. So maybe it's a surgeon that should say, yes, we have made the scan. Everything was fine. Or during the surgery, yes, we were able to place the implant within 15 minutes. Uh, the implants after uh, being placed, it was fine. There was no risk. We have a risk that the implant is cracking at a certain stage where if you do this movement, have you done this movement? Was there is any crack or whatever? So you are asking question, clinical question about the device and gathering that. So this is the first way to gather those information. It can be through a survey, through also uh, a registry, if maybe you're country or hospital open the registry about certain information about device. You can also be part of this registry. So uh, people will field, feed this registry with a lot of information. So these are also clinical data, real world data. Um, you have what um, uh, clinical data uh, you have. I mean, you can also have data that are more about uh, vigilance reporting to say that 
My product was, I sold 1 million units. There was no vigilance reporting, no adverse event, no complaints. So this is also a good data to provide to say my product is safe because it's used. There is no issue about my, my product on the market after selling 1 million units, for example. Uh, there are also clinical data can be, as I've said, equivalent to um, data from a device that is equivalent to yours. So imagine that now, for example, you take a surgical robot, you say, okay, which other surgical robot is on the market and is similar to mine, has the same function, has the same thing. So you take this one and you check first before to do anything, check first if there are some clinical data about this, this device. It's not like the 510K. It's not like if my device is similar to this one, then I can put my device on the market because it is on the, this one is on the market. So we are not talking about substantial equivalency. Here we are talking about equivalency so that you can use the clinical data of this device to prove that your device is safe and performance. So you have first to identify maybe a device, verify that it has, it has clinical data. And when it has clinical data, then you have to do some confirmation of the equivalency through a technical aspect, through a biological aspect, and through um, a clinical aspect. And you have also an MDCG guidance with a table. I'm advising you also to use this table for the clinical for the equivalency because notified bodies are expecting to see this table, if I can say so. Um, this is mainly the way that you will be then sh showing that your device is equivalent. And if you can prove that your device is equivalent, then you can use the data that are existing for this device for you. Unless you are class three or implantable, you cannot use data from another device if you are class three and implantable, if you have not signed an agreement with the uh, other company that has those data. So if it's a competitors of yours, <laughs> I don't think they will give you anything. Um, but they have made that, for example, for big corporate companies that have multiple divisions and that maybe one can use the data of another division. I had one manufacturer in the US that was able to make a deal with a manufacturer that is located in India for intraocular lenses so, so that they can use their data because they had a lot of data. And they made the deal, everything was fine because they said, I will sell only in the US, you will sell everywhere in the world if you want, because for me, I would just remain on my market. So they made this deal. And then um, they sent the data to the notified body. It was the Irish notified body. And the Royal notified body refused. Why? Because the, you cannot compare your device that will be for EUMDR to another device that is under NDD. It should be under NDR. If it is not under NDR, you cannot make any comparison to this device at all. So it's also something that was making the things more difficult for them. So they said, okay, now we have to do a clinical investigation because we cannot use the data from another device, even if we had to do this. So we have to do a clinical investigation for that. So you discover all that, as I've said, all along, if I can say, when you go through a notified bodies, oh, without that, you cannot. So I can understand for a company that is going first on the market, uh, they will have all those issues. So it's why getting consultants like you or me or anybody that has already made a lot of those deals or those uh, uh, certification, uh, we know, some cases that happens for some manufacturers so we can alert also about 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 this situation and this avoids them also to to lose a lot of money so this is mainly the, the idea here but yeah i do want to clarify for people that um because i've had the experience even with 2a and 2b yeah. like that that they absolutely would not accept data without the agreement with the competitor company exactly, yeah. 
um, yep. not just the class three. Yep. Um, and then you can't make, you can't use equivalency alone either as your clinical data. Like, I, I just want to clarify, it's one of many tools in exactly. that, that set that you, you, you can make the argument with. Exactly. So uh, the, the best strategy is to arrive with many axes, if I can say, to this clinical evaluation. The one of uh, using your own data because you are seeing the device for many years, the one with equivalency to another device, the one maybe if you want with some literatures or some other information. And if you can do a small PMCF data or this and that, if you arrive with many tools, as you mentioned, many results that are all showing the exact same point to say my device is safe and performant, you have a lot of chance to win. If you arrive just with equivalent devices, maybe the notified body will not access it. It's not enough. You should have enough data. And the question, what is enough? So yeah, to be on the safe side, try to make a variety of information or data to come yeah. and to show the same point. One, one tool only will not help you too much, if I can say. And then what about products where it's difficult to run a study because maybe they're trauma or ER or, or something where it's not like, you, you can run a study or a trial for that. How, how would they go about? So this is, yeah, this is a difficult one uh, in terms of, um, of uh, yeah, because you, doing a clinical trial or something on a trauma is maybe something that can be a, a problem also to say, yeah, the person is in a trauma. How do they accept to, do, to, do, to be treated about, uh, with this or that? So this is mainly something that uh, we had, I think, with, um, you know, those... Um, um, how to say those uh, small guns uh, for uh, that you have to to hit on the on the on the bone if I can say or I can't remember what was uh, what was uh, the, this company that that was doing, so um, they had made um, uh, an agreement that each patient that are coming, for example, uh, they have to ask for their relatives to accept or not to to use that, and they have to show uh, the information that uh, the risks that are happening for this kind of thing, etc. Et so. This was one option, but when there is an emergency, it's really difficult to do this kind of, of thing. So one other point was to do the, the test, if I can say, on patients that are not in a trauma situation, but in a normal situation and see if the device is safe, if there is no issue, if it's compliant. But the problem is that the, the, the company or the, the company says that this device should be used, for example, in, um, those, um, ambulance or uh, helicopter or this kind of thing. So it can be used through that. So simulating that can be also a bit, a bit difficult. So here I don't have a full answer to that because I don't have enough experience with those companies that have, that are in the trauma industry. Uh, but mainly the thing is that as much information as you can bring, um, there is also some common sense here. So notified bodies are humans. They are listening to you. So as soon as you are bringing them some value or some information that are logical, that you have made as much test as possible, that you have some cases to show, maybe not 100 patients or whatever, but maybe a few cases to show, they will maybe accept that. Um, the only thing is that as soon as it is a risky product, um, they will also maybe verify the benefit risk to your device. The thing is that, for example, when we talked about the face mask, as we said, uh, we talk about face mask a lot. Um, 
when you look at the face mask instruction, it says you have to use it during two hours uh, and then remove it and use another one, et cetera, et cetera. So this is many other things. But during the COVID situation, we had not a lot of supplies of face masks. So at the end, people were keeping that for four hours, five hours, six hours, a full day, or even re reusing that. Well, at the end, <laughs> it's common sense. It's common sense to do that. In, it, it's better to do that than to not have any face masks. This is mainly how to think about that. So the circumstances also should be taken into account. You should think that at that moment, at that moment in place, if we don't do that, there will be a risk also that uh, the patient will be dying or whatever. So then the benefit-risk balance is also there. You have to show that the benefit is higher than the risk. It's what I'm saying also like a, a dialysis machine. Um, maybe I, if I use this syringe and put it, etc., I would maybe have an infection. But if I'm not using the dialysis machine, I will die. So mm -hmm. benefit, risk. So mainly this is also that that you have to take into account. So this is mainly how you can um, show that your data are sufficient and that the benefit is very high in, in comparison to the risks of, of uh, not using, I mean, of the risk of using this device at all. So this is mainly how those manufacturers that can, can use that. But as I said, I'm not having enough experience with uh, those devices. I'm not having enough experience with notified bodies that are reviewing those devices uh, to be able to, to share my, uh, my experience on that. Oh, so um, changing subjects a little, a little bit. I've been fascinated by um, some of the statistics I've seen regarding the completeness or, or rather incompleteness of technical files like that more than I think I've seen some that said 50%, some that said 60%, some that have said 75% at some level of incompleteness. Um, what are you seeing as being the biggest cause for being deemed incomplete to even start a MDR review? We have a lot of manufacturers that are thinking that is just a formula to fill. Uh, so they are thinking like it's an administrative formula. You go to a, to a, an administrative office and just uh, give me the formula. We'll give my name, etc. And I, uh, I, I cross the, the boxes and everything is okay. So these are the assumptions. But the problem is also that they were educated under MDD and MDD had a way to educate for technical file in a way that it's more of a shopping list, if I can say. So it says, I want to see this. I want to see a drawing. I want to see just a shopping list of how you want to see uh, those things. Now under MDR, it's structured. You have to have all the information and it's not, and we're also educated like that in the MDD. And you have also to have all the documents. So it means that under MDD, usually what we are doing is that we are providing information and we are making references to the clinical evaluation documents or to the SOP or to whatever. We make references to them, but notified bodies had no access to that unless they were asking for it. They would say, oh, can I see your CR? Can I see your SOP or can I see that? And you had some manufacturers that were used to do that from the beginning, which was fine. But now under the MDR, everything should be inside the technical file. So you have the technical file, which is the Word document that you would convert to PDF, where it says, here are the chapters, here are the information. But the CER should be in Annex. The PMCF data should be in Annex. The risk management should be in Annex. The SOPs should be in Annex. The design, DHF, DHR, etc., should be in Annex. Everything should be in Annex. So this is something that is completely new for uh, manufacturers. 
because they were not used to do that. So now when we are building a technical file, we are putting, for example, a chapter, for example, biocompatibility. We are trying to make a summary of the biocompatibility information for the device and information for that. Try to show the results already, like a summary, like a half a page. And then we put a table with this document is the biocompatibility protocol. This document is the biocompatibility report. This document is the literature search. This document is the test for it. We put all the documents and we say, if you want to look at those documents, go to Annex uh, 3, 4, 5, etc. And then we give them a new folder with Annex 5. And inside this Annex, there are all the documents that we have listed because they want to see everything. They are not just satisfied by a Word file or PDF with only all the information. They want to see also all the annexes that are attached to it. Even the CR, they want to see all the literatures. So when you are referring to a literature in a clinical evaluation report, they say, okay, where is this literature? Can you show me the PDF? So I am in charge of my, if I can say, credit card, if I can say to buy those things. So it's a nightmare to buy, to go to each website, Springer, to this and that, to go and buy each one, one, one after the other. But yeah, you have to buy each literature one by one to put them on the folder, on the dossier and everything. They want to have all the information. They don't want to contact you again to say, can you send me this? Can you send me that? No, they want to have everything. So now they are doing a first review. So usually when you are sending a technical file, they have their checklist. They look at this information. Where is it? It's here. This information, where is it? And they check each information if it's there. If it's not there, they will reject the file and say, no, uh, there are a lot of things that are missing. If it's there, then they will send that to the assessor that will be starting the assessment of the technical file. But there is this barrier, there is border, if I can say, where they say, first, let's check that you have all the information correct inside, that it's visible and we can find them. If it's fine, then we move to the next step. If it's not fine, we'll reject. And we have a lot of rejection just because they are not passing this, uh, this border. So any last either lessons learned with the, the um, notified body interactions, or uh, if not, or you could speak to both of these, what is one of your favorite facts and figures with all the survey data that has come out about uh, the status of MDR implementation? So what, what is interesting, for example, to see when you are willing to go to the EU market, so you have to build all your documentation, etc. But what I'm asking first people is first to decide to confirm, confirm first if this is a medical device or not, because we have a lot of companies that arrive to us also and say, this is, this is a medical device. But when I look, I say, no, it's not a medical device. It's just a screen. <laughs> you know, those screen that you are using in hospitals, they arrive to say, oh, it's used in hospitals. You know, it's used to this, but just a screen. Is there a software inside? Is there something? Is there, no, there is nothing. It's just a screen that is plugged to the TV or whatever. And it's not a medical device. As long as there is no software inside or there is no medical purpose, it's just a screen. And they are coming and say, oh, can you make it a medical device? I say, no, it's not a medical device, so we cannot make it that, like that. But you have a lot of software that are coming also and you say, no, it's not a medical device. It has no medical purpose. It's just for storage of images or to transfer an image from point A to point B, but it has no algorithm, no decision-making, nothing. So it's not a medical device. So qualification is the first thing that we have a lot of mistakes. Then classification, and then the conformity assessment. So one of the statistics that was great is the fact that uh, uh, you have three routes to go to the market, which is Annex 9 or Annex 10 or Annex 11. And you have a statistic showing that 90% of everybody goes to Annex 9. Not a lot go to Annex 10. 
or even really small, and few of them go to Annex 11. So this was a great statistic because um, at the end, um, people are asking, you know, when you are filling those application forms with notified, notified bodies, they say, which annex you want to go? And then people are really struggling to say Annex 10, Annex 11, etc. So don't struggle too much. Even when I talk to notified body, everybody's saying to me, go to Annex, uh, annex 9, because mainly this is the root of everything. And you are struggling less. You are not... Um, because the problem, for example, when you go to Annex 11 or Annex 10, if you are changing something about your device, then you have to redo again everything. But if you go to Annex 9, it's like a sampling. So they are checking if you, generally your system is good, if everything is okay, if your file is okay, etc. But if you change a small thing, which is not significant, then they will say, okay, we'll come back, we'll come back next year and during the next audit, we'll verify that point, etc. as long as it's not significant. But if you go to the other, other annexes, it's a, it's a problem. So the advice is don't think too much about that. Go to Annex 9 uh, and then try to be on the market unless you have really some specific requirement, like uh, you are maybe selling three units of your device every two years. So then maybe no need to get audited every year for your device. Maybe going to Annex 11 is fine for, for, for doing that. But no need, to, no need to struggle too much if you are a normal manufacturer selling a lot of devices, not custom made, that uh, go on the market, go to Annex 9. And this was a statistic because they were a notified body. Team NB, I think, made this statistic. They were asking their notified body which annexes their manufacturers are going. And we saw every uh, big, a big, a big uh, column, if I can say, on Annex uh, 9. And uh, this is mainly something that a lot of my manufacturers are asking, which annex should I choose? And say, go to Annex 9. No, no need of thinking of that. Well, thank you for your time, Monir. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You're welcome. Really happy to, to have a discussion with you also.